0: Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Shuttlestow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Nashville for a turn visit is Adam Balfour. Adam is Vice President and General Counsel for Corporate Compliance at Bridgestone Americas and the author of the new book, Ethics and Compliance for Humans. First, Adam, thanks for joining us and congratulations on the book.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for uh, letting me come back and have another, another chat with you, Adam.
0: Happy to have you always now let's talk about something you address in it, which is the idea of branding you're a big proponent of branding the compliance department and and I have to say i I agree uh, having spent more than a decade working in advertising i frankly am amazed how many lessons there are about communications and persuasion that I learned at ad agencies hold true for compliance first, it's probably good though for those who didn't spend a decade at advertising. If you explain what you mean by the compliance team should have a brand.
1: So I did not spend 10 years in, uh, uh, advertising either. And I think that's okay. So I don't have your knowledge, but I think there's okay. some things that for us in, in compliance, we, we can pick up, but, but the way I think about it is, you know, great products that, that have bad brands, right? They just don't sell as well as great products that have got great brands or, or even good products that have got great brands. And so I think an ethics and compliance program, um, one that's effective, well-designed and works, it's an incredibly amazing product. And it can do so much to you know, help our organizations, guide people, but I think the problem is the brand is where we often really struggle. And, and to me, you know, a brand is, it can have such an impact on how we see things and really our willingness to spend our time, our money, our attention And when it comes to compliance, right? Compliance in in, in every single organization, it has a brand, right? That's not the question of whether whether or not we have a brand, but it's really whether or not the brand communicates the value of the program. And if that value is really easily and clearly understood by employees that we're really looking to engage. And so I think with compliance, one of the things that we've fallen into is we, we tend to focus on brand awareness so it's let's make sure that you know everyone knows we've got a compliance program we got a code of conduct we got an ethics helpline but one of the that the books that i I read years ago as i was starting to learn about branding and marketing um scott edbury um has got an amazing background in, in marketing and branding and one of the lessons i took from his book was really that that brand awareness is a very dated concept that doesn't really add much value um, an example to me is like Enron, right? I mean, it's, they still got brand awareness, but it's, uh, it's, it's kind of dated and, and not very useful at this point. And Bevery talks about brand relevance and brand resonance. And so to me, that's where I think we really have to think about the branding of our compliance program. How do we convey the value of what our programs offer in a way that that value can, can be seen and easily appreciated by our employees in a way that's relevant and resonates with them?
0: I think you're spot on. A brand is really about what it is that people associate when they see your name, you know, and it gets down to values, which is what compliance is all about. And also the sort of emotional things, do they think positively, negatively, and just letting them know about you doesn't convey that you've got to make people think the right things when they think about compliance. So let me ask a follow up is what do you think the brand should be for the compliance program? Is there one for everyone, or does it really depend on the company?
1: So I, I think for this, that given that each of our compliance programs has to be tailored to a particular organization, um, including thinking about the risks that you face, are you in a regulated or less regulated industry, but also really thinking about your organization's culture, that's gonna be a little bit different, a little bit unique. And also who are the people that you're trying to communicate that value and engage as part of your program? So I I do think the brand is gonna be a little bit different for for different organizations. But that being said, I think there's a lot of similar points that we can use to to show the value um, that we provide in ethics and compliance, um, including how we can really support, the top and bottom line uh, in, in our organizations and, and that's something I do cover a little bit more in, in chapter three of the book, but I think there's definitely some commonality that we can use, but it's really thinking through what's that value proposition for your employees? What are their interests and how do you really connect with them uh, and their interests through your, your compliance program branding?
0: And that will vary. I mean, there's big differences between say an organization where it's all about stability, continued growth and in other organizations where it's about breaking the, current dynamics and changing the world, the brand of the compliance team should probably reflect that. So like the marketing department and ad agencies and big brands like Coke, Pepsi, and a million others, compliance is about affecting behavior. It's about getting people, as you know, to do some things and not others. They try to get you to buy one brand and not another. In the commercial space, we try to get people to behave in certain ways too. What do you think makes for effective motivation? so i I really like the point you mentioned about
1: how do we influence the the behavior of of other human beings. Um, one of the things I've, I've really become so focused on the last few years is an effective ethics and compliance program, right It's not about simply getting the organization to comply with the law it's It's really how do you get your organization's employees? and really other people that that are involved in acting on behalf of your organization, right? You know, third party intermediaries being one example, how do you drive and influence their behavior to make sure that really it's their acts or or their failure to act, that's gonna be what determines whether or not there's there's compliance. And so that's one of the reasons I think we've got to take such a people-centric focus because we've really got to put them at the heart of our programs and really think about how do we connect and motivate those people um, because their actions are what's really gonna matter. So I think there's so many different ways that that you can can have effective motivation. Um, I, I guess I'll just capture kind of three of them that, that come to mind. Um, one of them I think is really starting with why. Um, and so I think rather than simply telling people, "Here's what I need you to do," or, or maybe not do, I think is telling them why something matters. And and what I mean by that, Adam, is not simply saying, "Well, you know, we have this policy because a, a law or a regulator expects us to." But but provide a meaningful why that people in your organization can connect with something that's relevant and is really going to resonate with them. So I think that when you do that, when you give them that compelling why, I think what follows after that, when you tell them, and based on that, here's what I need you to do, I think that becomes much more motivating. And I think it becomes much more um, relevant for, for how we think as human beings. I think the second thing that can also influence uh, motivation is really what I call like group safety. So what are other people in the organization doing, right? I think we generally want to fit in with the, the social pressures in our communities and, and that can often be a good motivator, but, but, but I think there's also a little bit of risk at times that that can also lead to bad outcomes. Um, and I think there's one of the reasons I, I, I like to talk about, you know, we should strive for a culture of integrity rather than simply a culture of compliance is if you look at some of the big scandals um, that we've seen in recent years, it's not one or two rogue employees, it's it's often hundreds if not thousands of people who were involved and there was pressure, there was expectations and people really complied with that. And so I think is how do we move past this idea of simply compliance but really focusing on integrity and really trying to use those social pressures in a way that we can guide people um, both individually and collectively motivate them to do the right thing. Um, and then I guess the final point I'd share on this one, Adam, is really, I think there's also lots of ways to, to motivate people through incentives. And obviously that's something where we're seeing a lot more focus from the, the Department of Justice on recently. but um, having annual performance goals that, that tie to advancing the, the ethics and compliance program, particularly for leaders and managers. Um, Or maybe you create a a recognition program that you can call out and celebrate people for doing the right thing. Um, Those can be financial incentives. They can also just be social incentives as well, just giving people positive recognition and and encouraging them to do the right thing again.
0: All this conversation though leads me back to the question really of what's our role? Some compare compliance officers to umpire, we call the balls and strikes and keep the game fair. Others think of us as internal cops or insurance. You know, lately, the analogy that resonates most for me is compliance is like the traction control on a car. Uh, we're there so when the company steps on the accelerator pedal, the tires don't spin out of control and send the car into a tree. H- how do you see us?
1: Yeah, I, I do like your uh, your analogy. Um, I think that's a, that's a great one. Um, I, I guess, I, I, as you know, Adam, I like to read a lot of uh, a lot of business books. And uh, another uh, brand one that, that that comes to mind um, is uh, Denise Lee Yon wrote wrote a book a few years ago called Fusion. And 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 what Denise covers in her book is she talks about how great companies they have this very aligned, even connectedness between their their inward-facing organizational culture and then their outward-facing brand. And and I really it's something that resonated with me a lot and and I think for for us in ethics and compliance right we really cover both those areas and I think help ensure that there's integrity in how we operate internally and also how we're seen and act outside of the organization so I, I like that and it also makes me think uh, uh, and this analogy may, may may not be so relevant today but maybe as soccer continues to become more popular in the in the US. But we are in the second line of defense. And so I think we're very much like a midfielder in, in soccer, right? You know, we help support the organization in its growth, in its development, um, in pursuing you know, the growth of the organization outside uh, and how we're making sales and, and interacting with others. But also I think in terms of how we protect the organization too. Um, so I kind of think of it as being as a, a little bit of a midfielder who can play both uh, an attacking and, and defensive role. That um, uh, that's that's uh, maybe maybe that's more my my UK background.
0: Well, you know, Ted Lasso showed us that we could all adopt and start getting into soccer, so I'm sure it'll work. So finally, you know, as as we talk about all this of what the brand is, what it should be, it sort of leads me to the thought of, of sort of myths of, of you know misunderstandings of who we are, what, what do you see as the biggest myth about compliance programs, particularly the one that we should be most addressing?
1: Yeah, that, that that's, that's a tough question for me. I think I would say it is a contest between, on one hand, people who've read and certified policies have actually read the policies. And on the other hand, a, a healthy culture is one where there are no ethics hotline reports Um, if pushed to decide, I I would pick the myth that no reports is a sign of health. I I think it's completely understandable why people might think that is a good thing. Hey, like if we get no ethics hotline, uh, reports, that shouldn't, isn't that what we want? Um, but we don't live in some utopia where nothing bad ever happens, right? We live in the real world with real people. And, and when there's no or few reports, that is so much more concerning to me um, because you know that there's issues and problems that people are facing and experiencing and are not being raised. So I think that's the biggest myth. And I think it's one we can we can easily uh, demystify and show why people speaking up is actually a really good thing and something we want to encourage.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. Well, Adam, thank you for sharing these insights with us today and in your new book, Ethics and Compliance for Humans. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turteltel from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.